evening, everyone. Um, tonight's topic is... Well, fuck if I know. <laughs> I, was, I was planting apple trees on Roll Story when the music started, and I was like, fuck! Because I need to get a whole bunch of... You don't care. I need a whole bunch of apples for something. Um, anyways, and... Um, that's my craziness. That's just pure craziness right there. That's what I got going on. Um, tonight's topic comes from A. Kane, who asked, If you could go back and totally rework one of your published fanfics, which ones would it be, and what would you do differently? I think I've answered this question once from once before, but not very in a very specific or... Um, I couldn't find it in a particular podcast, so I think it must have been like off-the-cuff kind of thing. So um, I thought I would just dedicate a show to it because I actually have a lot of deep regrets for some of the things that um, are currently published on my site. And it, deep regrets the wrong term. The thing is, is that I, I like to play with the same themes and, and work through the stories in in explore ideas and just really all my stories are a variation on a theme and if you look at I me mean, across fandom across fandom so it's not so much just all the harry potters have this theme um i would say that you would find the same themes running through all of my stories um when it comes to uh self-respect and um ownership of your actions and um um honesty and uh Consent. Um, these are all things that I highlight in all of my stories, and so in that vein, they're all you know pretty much the same, which sounds kind of boring. Um, <clears throat> but I, I would love, I would love to start over with Ties to Bind. Um, it's one of the more popular stories on my site, and. A lot of people really love it. Some people it creeps out. That's okay. Um, but somewhere around lovely agony, I realized that I would have been a hundred percent happier if I had written Ties That Bind as a pure Earth AU with no Stargate whatsoever. Um, I would have been. It would have been. I would have loved it. Oh, just the, when the idea hit me, I was like, oh, fuck, what was I thinking? Because <laughs> the race really get in the way of my porn, okay? It really fucks up. And it, was just, it would just be really interesting to to do an AU where um, John isn't in the military and um, he works in his father's company and he's this... Um, uh, very well known and sought after Dom on Earth, and it would just be really interesting. Um, so interesting, in fact, that I've actually plotted a good 300k of it. I've not written any of it, but I do have a um, composition notebook dedicated to an Earth AU of ties that bind. Um, I don't know what I would call it or what I would do with it. Um, <laughs> 
that's absolutely true. Azure says in the chat room, we'll kill all the wraith. There's no statute of limitations on being a cock block. The wraith definitely cock blocked me in Ties That Bind. I feel like I, sp- I can't spend too much time doing this when, you know, John's really doing his job because people are out there dying, right? So, anyway, it's really annoying. So, um, when I hit that idea in A Lovely Agony, uh, it was just like, oh, what did I miss out on? Because it it was when I was writing um, the scene on the island, and I realized just how much potential I had on you know in the characters on Earth that I don't really get to explore because um, they're not on Atlantis, and it just it really it's it got it was kind of stifling to realize what I had um, done to myself in in limiting it the way that I did. Um, so yeah, so that would be my first one. I uh, would like to. Uh, there are things that I would do differently in what might have been. Um, I would have introduced Sebastian differently if I had to do it all over again. Uh, um, I would. I think that John, in in what might have been, um, um, he's a little uneven to me. He's a little uneven to me. So if I could go back and start that over again in a different place with a different... just, just, just for the different movement, I would. I would keep most of the events the same because I, I really enjoyed that plot and, and how that worked and how that moved through the stories. And I enjoyed the reconnection with his family. But I would have introduced Sebastian differently um, and uh, given... Uh, there's a power dynamic there in the introduction of Sebastian that... Um, I'm not particularly fond of, and I should leave it at that. And if if I could go back and do it differently, I would. Because from the moment Sebastian enters their lives, they're on the defensive. Uh, Constantly moving him and protecting him from various, and they're always boom, 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 on the offensive, defensive. I would would like them to play offense instead of defense, is, is what I'm getting at. Because from the start they're maneuvering and positioning themselves um, around this kid, and it's the whole family doing it. Um, and they react constantly to what's going on. It's, it's one reaction after another. And I would like to, um, in retrospect, approach that from a different angle. So just, you know, sometimes that's just something that happens that comes up. Um, I think that um, sometimes... When I'm when I'm looking at Sentinels of Atlantis, and I've been planning season two for a while, I I I had to go back and read season one three times during my um during my final planning stages because I kept getting confused with what I had published on the site and what I had originally written but lost because I lost about. I don't know, 10 to 15 episodes of Sentinels of Atlantis when I had my hard drive failure. Um, they weren't 
separated into um, episodes at the time. They were just one big file that I was cutting out of as I created my episodes because well, that's the same way I did Ties That Bind. Ties That Bind was originally um, just one big novel, and I separated it out to to work with it and to create um, the, the different stories. Uh, but I kept losing track of what I had ended up with on the site versus what I had originally wrote. And so I would have to go back and read it again. Okay, did I do this? Have I introduced this person? Does this person exist in the, oh, no, that person doesn't exist. And, oh, don't forget this. And, you know, it's just, you know, these things. So um, it's not so much that I would redo Sentinels of Atlantis because I've already redone it. I... (laughs) I just really regret the the loss of um the first set of stories because they were they were very much different. Um they were they were very different. Um in that uh Patrick Shepard never came online as a guide. He wasn't a guide. Um and uh I there's just a, there's just some differences in the original plot line and I really enjoy that whole plot line with Patrick Shepard being a guide and coming online for O'Neill I really like that but that wasn't part of the original and there are a couple of things like that there are and Andy was originally a girl was a little girl um and I don't know why when I rewrote it I changed her changed I don't know why she she became a he. I, I have no idea why that happened. Um, and I'm not sure if it was just because I had a, a a mental block and I didn't remember that I had made David's child a girl or that I wanted to, um, that I got attached to that idea of mirroring John's character in David's son. And so I um, just bled into my plot and and Andy ended up um being a boy but oddly enough Andy was the name when the character was a girl too <laughs> the character's name was always Andy <laughs> but at one time it was not Andrew it was Andrea <laughs> so and I don't know I mean I just I I really I'm not even sure if that's a decision I consciously made when I was plotting or if something that happened when I started writing, because it's been a long time since I started writing, you know, writing that particular one. But, uh, yeah. Um, when it comes to, um, Harry Potter, um, if I could do it over again, I would write, um, the Birth of the Serpent King would not be what it is today. I, there's just parts of The Birth of the Serpent King that I thought, oh, God, you know, why did I do that instead of this? And why didn't I go here instead of here? You know, oh, <laughs> and, and you take a turn and, and you move a story in a certain way. And then you're like, oh, shit, I wish I hadn't done that. But it's already published and it's too late and I'm, you know, I'm stuck with it. <coughs> um, uh, it's just you know those kinds of things um and um but I, that's also why I have a lot of work in progress and I have a lot of AUs um 
<coughs> pardon me. Um, one of the things that happened um, in my Hobbit work is that I had created um, a story called Spiritborn, where um, Bella and Thorin go back in time um, because they fucked up so much. I mean, it was just a huge fuck up. Um, and so when I was thinking about it and I, and I was, you know, messing with it, I was playing with it and I was writing and I was moving through my things. And, um, around the time I introduced the character of Duma, who is my female dwarf in, um, that story, who's going to end up with Feely. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I, I thought to myself, you know, I really wish that it had just been Bella and a couple of girls that went back in time, you know, a lot of girl power. And that's how Trinity happened. That's how Trinity became what it is. And Trinity is a story where Terrell gives up her grace. She, um, she gives up being an elf. Um, she sacrifices her grace to go back in time. And um, Iru, or ever how you say that, um, uses her sacrifice to send both Dee's and Bella back in time. So here are these three women back in time um, taking care of business. And I really like that because there's so little girl power in The Hobbit, in the original version in The Hobbit book, that I just want to shove as much female badassness into The Hobbit as I possibly can. I mean, just all of it. Just, just In the movie, there's a little bit. In, in the book, you're right, there's none. It's just none, not a... Not a Fuck it. Which, you know, I could spend like two hours bitching about that because I, I find it very offensive. And, and I think that's why um, I have absolutely no interest in writing Bilbo. Um, I'm pretty sure that I will always write Always a Girl in the Hobbit fandom. I just, because um, it's so damn annoying. It is so damn, because in most, in most fandoms, I could say, okay, you know what, you know, you don't really have to make Rodney a girl. You could do this character with John or this character with John. But there is literally no women in the Hobbit. There are no female characters that you can ship. It's really annoying. It is so, oh, it is so annoying. And so I have a couple of um, different ideas when it comes to um, uh, The Hobbit that I, that I really want to explore. Um, I have one called The Bartered Queen, um, which I wanted to um, explore uh, cultural dynamics between the hobbits and the dwarves and just, you know, just really explore that and and work my way through it and um so we'll see how that goes but uh my favorite hobbit work in progress um is spiritborn um with beads on her feet being a a very close second i like beads on her feet because it's um an established relationship and um Thorin has made some mistakes, and, and Bella made some mistakes, too, and they're having to work through those mistakes, and they're going to have to, um, um, there's going to be some suffering and some um, angst, and but not, you know, like, manufactured, it's going to be like, you know, what it's supposed to be. Um, I just, 
I want to explore a relationship where um, two people are already there, they're already in love, but there's this huge um, happening in their life that that really fucked everything up, and so they have to work their way back to it. And um, I, I I really enjoy the concept of that. <clears throat> I um. But, like I said, I think my biggest single regret as far as published fan fiction um, would have to be Ties That Bind. And I just, I really, 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 really wish I would written an AU on Earth. And um, I, that's just what it is. I, um, it is, I don't think I regret anything as much. As I do that. And that's, you know, it's really annoying. It's really, really super annoying um, how much I actually, you know, genuinely regret that. And it's just like, oh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and, of course, I would I would do things much differently if, if I had a choice. You know, if, if I could go back and do it again, I would, I would do things very differently. And the fact of the matter is, is I, I probably will write um, an Earth AU of my AU Sans <laughs> BDSM world. <laughs> It'll be an AU of an AU of an AU. <laughs> because I can't help myself. I mean, it's 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 eventually going to happen. Um, uh, my second biggest uh, fanfic regret would be the age that I started Tangled Destinies. If I had it to do over again, they would both be at the academy and not in high school because I cock-blocked myself. And there's no damn excuse for that. I mean, I was like, what? What? Yes, I'm writing fan fiction of my own fan fiction of Zant's fan fiction. That, that's what's going to happen eventually one day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was like, when I really... I love Tangled Destinies for what it is. I think it's charming and it's romantic and it's just, it's lovely, but there came a point, and I think you might have noticed if you read it, that there came a point when I got really frustrated with the lack of dick <laughs> in this story. And I went a little further in, in one scene than um I had planned to, and that's the scene um, where um, Kirk takes off all of his clothes. That was not that was not that was not um, plotted. Uh, it was supposed to be a very sweet, you know, make-out scene. It, that's not what happened, and it's because I, I was sometimes. Sometimes the you know the inner porn goddess just comes out and things happen and their orgasms like oh shit that's not what I intended well that's kind of hot so I'm leaving that in um so yeah <coughs> I have had several people um question me about Kirk being Betazoid and they read my story before they watched the movie and were surprised by how unBetazoid he is. That's just what it is. I'm I'm sorry. Not really. Not really. I'm not I'm not really sorry. Um <clears throat> so 
uh, after ties that bind, and like I said, I would like to have done some things differently in in what might have been, um, but nothing so um, nothing so extreme. And no, uh, Kirk is not half betazoid in the movie. Um, uh, that happened because I read a story, and it was a Kirk Spock story, and Spock was looking for Kirk. And I don't remember the story. If I did, I would share it with you. Um, but I can't find it. I looked for it forever because I wanted to link to it on Tangled Destinies um, as a nod to the author, but I never could find it. So if you know this story, please, please let me know. Um, I had read a story on um, the Kirk Spock archive where Spock was looking. It was it was new. It was it was the AOS universe. It was a new, it was the alternate reality universe. And Spock was looking for Kirk and he ends up on the Kirk farm in Iowa and he meets Tiberius Kirk and Tiberius Kirk is either, he's like half Betazoid. And I thought, Oh, Oh, hell yeah. So when I wrote Tangled Destinies, I knew, I knew that, um, that one of uh, Jim's grandparents was going to be a Betazoid, but I wanted it to be a little closer to him than um, one of his grandparents being half, like Tiberius was in that particular story. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make his grandmother Betazoid and his grandfather human, and that's what I did. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that, that was that, and that's not in any way canon anywhere as far as I know. Um, but I wanted to give Kirk a little something. I wanted to spin Kirk in a, in a different, more inch. I just want, I, I wanted to spin it. So he's not, so that I can justify some of the changes that I made in him. And whenever you make a huge change to your character or you make them more or less, um, what they are in canon, I I feel like I have to justify that in their past, and I have to explain how they got to be what they are. And the fact of the matter is, is that um, Kirk in, in canon is heroic, and um, he's headstrong, and he's um, often led by his emotions, and he's also a man whore. I mean, he is straight up a man whore. The original man whore is James Tiberius Kirk. And so, when I was writing Tangled Destinies, when I was getting ready to plot it and work my way through it, I thought, how can I shift his character without putting him on Tarsus, number one? And number two, how do I get him in Pike's life? Why would Pike be his godfather? Um, what was Pike's relationship with um, Jim's parents? How how do I arrange that? And so I started trying to figure out um, how to make that work for myself. And the Betazoid thing came back to me. I thought, oh, well, that works really well. And so I have a reason to do the things that I do and um, and open up Jim's character in a very different way than than what he is in the original universe and what he is in the alternate universe, because uh, he's just not the same. And I I wanted justification for that, and my justification came through um, um, the experiences he had uh, in Iowa and his um, heritage. So I just wanted to um, justify myself in, in 
in what I was going to write because I knew I wasn't going to write him the way um, he is portrayed in canon, in either canon. It's just, it just it wasn't going to happen. I just um, I wanted to give him a different. Um, I wanted to spin him a little different, so I needed to make some changes and choices in both his heritage and his history to reflect that and to make it um, to kind of ground it in reality. Because sometimes if you make too many changes to your character going into it, you make their existence surreal and your reader doesn't connect with them. And I want to believe that um, when readers come into Tangled Destinies that they deeply and intimately connect with Jim um, and what he suffered and the losses, you know, and his mother um, and his um, his his immediate infatuation with Spock. <laughs> and I want it to make sense, and I hope that it does. Um if I could change anything about Tango Destinies, it would be their age. And that's it. Literally, that is it. I would like to have, like, oh, look, here's Spock. It's his first day at Starfleet Academy. <sighs> He's not a fucking sophomore in high school. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? I don't know what I was thinking. I know you guys can't tell me either. It's just craziness. It's just what it is. It's just craziness. Um. So, Okay. Um, I was, I'm over here on my site looking at my shit. Uh, <coughs> I think that, uh, yeah, that's just, um, I had several different versions of, of how I was going to start the awakening, which is my sentinel fix. that is the foundation for my alpha chronicles. Um, Yeah, in Arc 2, they're having all the sex. They're having all of the sex in Arc 2. It's just going to be, like, amazing amounts of arc, of sex in Arc 2. Um, but uh, I, um, w- when it came to the Awakening, I had, like, a whole bunch of different um, openings. And I, I kept over and over and over again, how am I going to open this? How am I going to open this? And I wrote them out, and none of them worked. And because, and because I didn't have an opening for a long time, my plot just sat there and sat there and sat there. It was really frustrating. And then when I found my opening, I was like, oh, well, there, of course it is. That's that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it needs to be. It it, it needs to be um, um, Jim making a movement. Because before, it was all 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 Blair coming to Jim, every bit of it. You know, he was he was coming to Cascade. He was doing this. He was flying here. He was doing this. And I thought, no, that really fucks up the power dynamic in their relationship. When it put and in canon, you know, Blair is constantly sacrificing himself and his his wants and his desires and even his career and his education that he worked so hard for for Jim. And I mean, it was just there was there's an inequality there that really really annoys me. And I was playing into it as a writer, and I think it's because I had been corrupted um, by the fandom, and the fandom is, well, I don't got to tell you, if you've read The Sentinel Fandom, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, in, in a lot of those fics, Blair's a little more than a, this is going to be really explicit, but my show is rated R for a reason. Um, Blair is a little more than a whole in a lot of those fics. And in some of them, the ones written by those really stupid homophobic homophobic people, he's not even that. He's just like he's he exists solely for Jim. He can have no relationships, but Jim isn't going to fuck him because Jim is straight. 
But Blair can't date. Blair can't look at people. Blair can't flirt with people because of Jim. Oh, 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 God, oh. What the actual fuck, fandom? I might have issues. I have issues with slave fic to begin with. I would never, ever in a million years write one. And I know a lot of people think that Ties That Bind is one big slave fic. It's not. <coughs> in a million years. Comparable, I think, to slave fic. Um, anyways. As you might have noticed, I still have a little cold. And a whole lot of attitude about it. Um, it is what it is. I have my side up, and the and the little flip show keeps happening. And every once in a while, I get a shot of um, that really awesome banner that Marley made for me for Ties That Bind with all the Shepherd Boys on it. And I think to myself, "Where's Tony?" Because I've been, I have been headcanoned, Jilly. If if you're not reading Jilly's RT story on this this month. What is wrong with you? Why aren't you reading her story? She has made Tony a shepherd, and it's stuck in my head. <coughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. It, it just when someone fucks up your head cannon, it really, really messes with you. Um, and the story is called If Found, Please Return. And it's on RT, and she's got a few chapters up. You need to go check it out. Um, but now, every time I see this little banner, it pops up on my little um, slideshow. Tony's not in the middle where he should be, obviously. He's not there. It's driving me crazy. It, But it totally works. It totally works. Um It was a great idea. Um, when Jilly approached me with it, I was like, hell yeah. That is a fan-fucking-tastic idea. I tried. I tried to um, to plot-bunny her. I won't tell you what it was about. But we spent, like, several hours talking about it, but it didn't work. But it was amazing. The plot-bunny was amazing, but it didn't work. But it was still amazing. It was an amazing plot-bunny. Um, so I did my best to, to plot Bunny Jilly, but she, but she held out and was all logical and shit. That's okay, though, because I'll get her eventually. Um, but yeah, so, you know, there's that, um, as far as, um, I'm trying to think if I would, um, <laughs> she still has seduced her with her shepherds. Yes, in what might have been and in um, Ties That Bind and in Sentinels of Atlantis, I do have Michael Weatherly playing Declan Frost because I really enjoy Michael Weatherly. But that doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. <coughs> Strong family resemblance. Absolutely. <laughs> Long lost twin. Um. So, you know, yeah, they're... Um, Always, I think that when you um, put something out there and you come back to it years later, you think, oh, shit, why didn't I do that? Well, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> that would have been so much more better. That would have been so much more awesome. Um, really, 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 really irritating. Um, 
when you when you do that to yourself. I think um, one of the stories that I'm really, really super pleased with on my site would be um, 10 Years After the War, which is um, part of my Alpha Chronicle series. It's Harry and Hermione, and Hermione is the Sentinel. Um, and I was like, hell yeah. And I just... <clears throat> thinking back on it, I can't think of any other way that I would have done that. It's just, you know, awesome. It's just that's what it's supposed to be, and it, I can't picture it any other way. So I'm I'm really pleased with that one. Um, I think that, um, like I said, with The Birth of the Serpent King as my Harry Potter story, I would have done things a little bit differently there if, if I had... Um, I wish I had sat on it a little while. Just just kept it for a little while. Like I do, I'm, a lot of my fix I keep for a while. And then I rework them and move them around. And, you know, just um, just to make them better. And I, I feel like I'm, I missed something with Birth of the Serpent King. And I'm not sure exactly what it is. Um, there's just something about it that seems off kilter to me. Now, there are a couple scenes here and there that I wish I'd have written differently. But there's something about the Birth of the Serpent King, and I think that's why Book Two um, kind of petered out, and I'm still, you know, trying to work on it. Um, there's something missing. Um, so I don't know what it is, uh, but there is something missing, and I'll figure it out one day, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm really super pleased with what I'm doing with courting Hermione Granger. Um, but one thing that um, I've realized is that I had written, um, it's basically complete. I have like three scenes left to write. And I wrote one scene in particular that, I don't often say this, but I think I'm going to have to cut the sex out of the book. I don't think the sex has place in the story. I th- I I think I'm gonna have to close the door um, because the rest of the story is is so. Um, that's where I'm looking for chaste. It's just this. It's just this beautiful um, romance where, and, and it's just. I feel like this the sex doesn't belong, and I. I've read it a couple of times, right? And I've, and I've read it through a couple of times. And every time I hit that scene, I stumble as a reader and as a writer. And I'm thinking to myself, this, this does not belong here. This is, this is, it is, number one, it's, it's not even explicit, really. And it, it is not as explicit as I can write, as you all well know. Um, it's, but it, the sex is misplaced. I mean, it's, it's, it, it does not belong in the story. And I stumble every time I hit that scene. And, <clears throat> which means that I'm going to have to remove it. Because it's, it, it's just, it, it doesn't belong in that particular story. Um, and I don't have a lot of work on my um, site that is um, teen-friendly. And so if I kept the sex out of it, it would actually be a very good story for one of my nieces to read about... Um, uh, you know, body autonomy and and um, respect and you know all that stuff. So I'm I'm just I'm, I'm thinking about it and, and how to work it out uh, because it just 
like I said, I'm stumbling every time I hit that scene, which tells me either I've done something wrong here. I've I've made a mistake, and I'm not, and I'm pretty sure it's the sex itself, which is really interesting, considering how much sex is on my site. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, so yeah. I've never read Barbara Cartland, but if she did, if if she wrote sweet romances with no sex in them, then then um, I would say that that courting Hermione Granger probably will be my Barbara Cartland novel. I, I don't know. So um, so sometimes like you know when you're writing you you do that you see something that you've um, that you've put together and it just doesn't work for one reason or another. It's it's no it's not something you can find fault in. As a writer, you're just like, ah, oh. because the sex is so, you know, it's almost like the sex is awkward, and I don't write awkward sex most of the time. In fact, I would say that as a writer, I've got two really good strengths, um, and they are dialogue and sex. I am very good at writing sex, and I write excellent dialogue. The rest of it, eh. <laughs> I'm a little iffy on action. I mean, I'm going to leave that. I don't write action well at all. Um, but I've never had a problem writing a sex scene. But the sex seems awkward and weird. And I... <coughs> <coughs> maybe it just doesn't, it just doesn't literally belong. And and, and it could be that simple. Mm. I'm sorry. It's talking and making my throat hurt. Anyway. Where was I? Okay, I'm on Harry Potter. Um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. What you guys are seeing is actually the fourth draft of that particular story. So I can't claim that I didn't have enough time to to work my way through the plot several times and figure out what I wanted to happen and you know where I wanted it to happen and all that jazz. So. Um, that is one where I I I really don't have any regrets as far as like how it's plotted and how the scenes are constructed and how everything happens the way it happens because um I wrote it a very long time ago and I rewrote it to put it on the site and so it's just what it is and I I don't really have any issues with that. I would like to have made um <coughs> <coughs> I would like to expand the magical promise. I wrote it during challenge, and um, I think that that was a, a 10K challenge, and my story ended up being 24,000 words. Uh, I know. Um, and even then, at 24,000 words, I feel like it's not complete. I feel like the magical promise is like more like an outline of what I actually wanted to write. Um it seems like the pace is really, really fast. Um, I'm currently drinking Sierra Mist, if you must know, Lady Holder, all in my business. Um, and um, I'm thinking about making me a milkshake, to be perfectly honest. Um, <coughs> anyways. Um, so... When it comes to the magical promise, I, I feel like um, it moves too quickly, and there's um, just 
from an author point of view, you know, from a from a reader point of view, it's a cute little story. It's fine. It is what it is. But potential for more than what I actually got. But that's just me. Let me go. I got a lot of fucking Harry Potter right here, don't I? I need to go back to Stargate for a while. Because Harry Potter fans are starting to piss me off. I'm just going to be honest. Um, My Stargate fans were never as frustrating as Harry Potter fans. Oh, Rogue. I forgive you. Question in my chat room. Are you going to finish the unspeakable plot, or is reboot going to be it? Um, the unspeakable plot, as it was originally written, no longer exists. Period. Um, I'm actually on chapter 17 of the rewrite of the unspeakable plot as a triad, and it's got everything that was missing. It's everything that was missing um, in the original draft. It, is there because I put Draco in it. And I was like, oh, look, there's Draco. What was I thinking? Of course he should be there. <laughs> it was just like, huh, there you go. There's Draco. Well, what was I thinking? <laughs> I didn't even know. So something was wrong with it from the very start. It just seemed like it wasn't full enough. There was something. There was a dynamic issue, and Draco solved it. Apparently, you can insert Draco Malfoy into a story and fix all your problems. Sometimes. Sometimes he causes problems. It just depends. But I think that when it comes to unspeakable plot, um, there was a momentum loss, and the dynamic wasn't quite what it was supposed to be. And when I introduced Draco into the mix, it was like, of course. You know, because the thing is, is that as a Harry Potter fan, you look at Harry Potter fix and um, you see the um, from the very start it, there's this triad vibe and it's Ron, Hermione, and Harry but when you get rid of Ron you're left with a vacuum and, and you need to fill it whether you fill it with um, giving Harry a really strong friend um, or you know, or just you just have to fill that void somewhere, and there was no <coughs> that void was huge in in the unspeakable plot because they have all these adults around them. Well, they're adults too in in kids' bodies, which is another factor. Um, but they have all these people around them, and um, there's a lot of damage between um, Harry and Hermione, and uh, I think that what happens is that um, Draco provides them both with a foundation that was missing in the original draft. Um, but it's very difficult for Harry to be all he needs to be for Hermione when he's suffering so much with, with what he lost. And, vice, and, and then here's from Hermione, who was in a terrible marriage, and she's coming to terms with what happened. And, you know, dealing with the fact that she was potioned into a marriage with a man that she really literally cannot stand. I mean, she, she hates him and you just imagine that. So, um, I sent two people back in time and they were very, very damaged and they only had each other. And it was very difficult 
And the emotional pain kept building and building and building and building, and there was no relief. I mean, it was just constantly, it was building and building and building and building. And when you read that original draft, it's just like a heavy weight, just weighs down on the characters. And then you as the reader, too, it's just epic. It's an epic amount of weight on them. But when I entered, when I inserted Draco, who had a difficult situation in his future, but it wasn't, it was a, it was of his own making. I mean, these were the choices that he made, and this is what the results were. <laughs> so, in a lot of ways, and it's really funny to say this, Draco is the healthiest of the three of them mentally. And so, going back in time, he creates a foundation for both Harry and Hermione. And what... Um, what made me realize this is when I was writing Darkly Loyal. When I was writing Darkly Loyal, um, I realized that when I created the triad for for Harry and Hermione, that I um, that in a lot of ways, uh, Harry and Hermione kind of feed on each other. They kind of feed um, emotional and. Uh, just they just feed all these negative and positive emotions into each other, but Draco is a calming influence. He's him. He's like a stone in the middle of their river. He just kind of slows them down and say, "Okay, <laughs> this is not what you're going to do. You need to do this, this, and this, and you need to calm the fuck down and here have some tea." You know, it was just like Draco was 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 there in Draco. Oh, I thought, oh God, that's what's missing in unspeakable plot. But what happened was, is I was going to, um, I'm actually, uh, there was a story that no one, I think Lady Holder's seen it, and that's just about it, that I was going to make a triad, and I was talking about it on my radio show, and, um, how I was going to make that on a triad, and someone emailed me and told me that I absolutely, under no circumstances, could make Unspeakable Plot a triad. So I immediately went and made it a triad. I mean, I like I literally wrote the first three chapters that day. Like fuck all that. No. Just no. Um, and it became. <laughs> and I was like, well, that just that really works. I kind of wanted to send that person who sent me that arrogant and tiled ass email a thank you because that really wasn't what I intended on doing. But once I did it, it was like that made so much sense. It was perfect. It was exactly what was wrong with um, with Unspeakable Plot. But the story that I'm going to make a try at that currently isn't one in the first draft is a story about – it's set in the third year um, – and it's a story about Harry um, coming to terms with himself as a parcel mouth. And <coughs> Hero Ito comes to Britain and becomes his guardian. And um, uh, Harry gives Draco, Harry gives Hermione parcel magic. So she becomes a parcel mouth, which is something I haven't done before, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm calling it currently The Apprentices. Um and um, But I thought to myself that it would be really interesting if I kind of mixed Draco into that, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. And then I realized that I wanted to, um, to you know, explore uh, uh, ritual craft, um, which I I move around in a lot in, in Soulmate Bond, but 
with Ito being in the school as um, Harry and Hermione's mentor, he's in a position where he can seek out other parcel mouse and find them and wake them up if they're asleep, so to speak, if you if you know what I mean. <clears throat> so he's going to find a whole bunch of latent parcel mouse in um, Hogwarts, and Draco's going to be one of them. And um, it's just going to be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to it. <clears throat> it's going to be, you know, just something that I can, you know, play with whenever I have time, which is why it hasn't appeared on um, EAD or anything, because it's not really um, ready for any kind of public consumption. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, sometimes when you when you you play with these ideas and, and you get them all together and then you realize, hey, yeah, that worked out really well, you know, and then that sucked. What was I thinking? I should have done this and this, and then you get mad and then you don't work on it anymore. Um, Stargate, I think that my biggest really, my biggest and really super regret would be the setting for Ties That Bind. And that's really it. (laughs) I love my little short stories and and how they're created and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really on board with all that. And, um, my favorite of my little shorts, my one-offs, my standalone stories in Stargate would be The Air That Angels Breathe. Um, um, Lord of the High Elves will be a triad. That was on the table all along as an idea. Um, and I got so many questions about whether it was going to be Harry Draco or Harry and Hermione. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do all, I'm going to fuck off. <laughs> I got really irritated. <clears throat> but that one was pretty much going to be my first triad fic before Darkly Lowell happened. And then Dracula Little happened. So, anyway, um, I would like to write a sequel to The Air That Angels Breathe. Um, yeah, I did. I, I, I got so much feedback about Lord of the High Elves, which is an excerpt on my site in Harry Potter. Um, about people wanting this or people wanting that, that I felt really pressured to make a choice. And then I'm like, no, I'm not going to make a choice. Fuck all that. (laughs) It's a triad. (laughs) Why can't he have both? (laughs) There's no reason why Harry can't have Hermione and Draco. (laughs) There. Decision made. Done. Um, So, yeah. One of um, the choices that I made in Lantean Legacy uh, when I got ready to publish book two, and I put book two um, into beta, um, I um, I had to make a choice about, um, it, for, the, for those of you who listen to my podcast all the time and who pay attention, you'll know that the Lantean Legacy is a mirror verse of what might have been. In that, what might have been is what happened when Rodney didn't go to Atlantis. And Lantean Legacy is what happened when Rodney did go to Atlantis. So, what happens is, is that there are characters in what might have been that show up in book one. And they show up 
in book two. And then there's a character that's on Earth, and he hasn't been introduced yet, at least in Lantean Legacy. And I have all these different plot choices that I could do for this particular character. And um, a part of me wanted to stick him in book two, to have John meet his father and his father introduce, oh, by the way, while you were gone, look who showed up. Look what I found. (laughs) Meet your son, John Sebastian Shepard, Jr., because he does exist, and he is on Earth right now, and he is in a very um, dangerous place because he's not with his grandfather, and he wasn't with his grandfather. And um, I uh, I had to make some choices. And even now, um, having put out book two and made that choice, I'm like, oh, I, I deeply regret it. <laughs> Part of me really regrets it because Sebastian is on Earth and he has no family with him, and he's he's really vulnerable. And he right now, Sebastian in book two, Sebastian is twelve years old, and his mother was killed when he was eight, and I made. You know, the thing is, is once you make a decision creatively, and I made this decision, and um, it's a done deal um, as far as book two is concerned. Um, so all of Sebastian's family is is in Pegasus, and Sebastian is on Earth, and I had to make a decision, and I made it, and I'm like, oh, that's going to be so painful. I don't want to write it. <laughs> I'm just going to skip that. I'm going to skip all that. But... What I will say is that when it came to Sebastian's origin story for Lantean Legacy, um, I took inspiration from um, The Pretender. And for those of you who have watched The Pretender, you'll get it. And if you don't, if you have no idea what The Pretender is, you need to take your butt to the internet and figure it out. Because Sebastian's origin story for Lantean Legacy um, will basically be um, Jared's origin story for The Pretender. Um, so, um, just, just a little bit of fusion. He, um, Sebastian isn't in the hands of the center. The center doesn't exist in the Stargate universe. Um, but he's in that kind of situation. He's... he's um, He's not in the care of people who love him, um, and he is being used for his intelligence, much the way Jared was in The Pretender. Um, and so once I made that decision, it was a really difficult decision. And once I made it, I was like, oh, I'm such an asshole. Oh, my God, I'm such an asshole. You know, cause sometimes <laughs> – and then I'm thinking about what kind of kid is John going to encounter? Because this is not going to be the smart-ass kid with the foul mouth that he met in what might have been. Um, then I think to myself, you know, what kind of man did Jared grow up to be? Um, and Jared was compassionate and um, 
fierce in his protection of others, and he was um, desperate to find his family. That's what I see in Jared in The Pretender. Um, and that's kind of what I want to give Sebastian. I I want to give Sebastian that that particular journey um, where he comes to terms with um, what happened to his mother um, and the unintentional abandonment that he faces on Earth and um, his desire to be reunited or united with um, his family and what path he's willing to, to go. The thing is, is that Jared wasn't angry with his family. Jared was stolen from his family um, and raised by a secret organization and used for his intelligence, but he was never angry with his family. He was a victim and so were they. And the thing is, is that John has no idea that Sebastian exists. Um, so there's no room for that kind of um, bitterness. But there has, but there is, there, there's something there. There's, there, there has to be some kind of um, moment in the, because he is entitled to be angry. I mean, he's he's very entitled to be angry, and how. He channels that anger, and where he focuses that anger will greatly depend on how big the hole he blows in Earth before his daddy gets there. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. <clears throat> exactly how much of the planet will Sebastian bomb and salt before <laughs> he gets Allies. Because Jared was raised in isolation and Sebastian spent the first eight years of his life with his mother. And then he was taken um, into protective custody. And um, it is what it is. He was taken during the first year of the Atlantis expedition. So there are people who know he's a shepherd. And so that's just something I've been playing with, and um, Lady Holder and I have um, have uh, plotted it several times. And the thing is, is like you know, it, it would be very easy to to write Sebastian as an angry, bitter boy who who hates everyone and who is self destructive and <clears throat> who lets his emotional trauma override his um, intelligence but that's the easy path that's the easy way to, to, to write him that way that is just like um, the easiest thing that you could that I could write as a writer just to, to write him that way and so he he needs to be complicated he, um, he needs to be um, layered and it can't just be one big block of bitter fury um because that's not realistic that's that's a very um shallow characterization i mean it's it's a very shallow existence to to only be angry you know he's in he um he's entitled to a great deal more than that 
Um, so it's more than anger. It's um, it's grief and loss and um, a desperate desire for love and um, to be reconnected with people who who share who have his eyes, who who have hands like he does, who it just, you know, the, the parts of family that we take for granted that he doesn't have. You know, so so creating him um or recreating Sebastian as it turns out um is one of the big uh big moments in Lantean Legacy that is coming and um I do kind of wish I had taken the easy way out with book two and just had Patrick had already located um, Sebastian. And when um, Sebastian's mother was killed, um, the will was processed and Patrick found out he had a grandkid and he went to California and he took his grandkid and (laughs) made sure everybody knew that, you know, fucking with the kid would be a very bad idea. And he took him home and that would have been, really easy to write it would have been really easy to write you know but um i think that you have to stretch yourself as a writer um otherwise you're just um you get all stagnant and weird so i do have a really good idea for what's going to happen and how it's going to work and um, it's going to be a lot of fun and um there's a little bit of foreshadowing in Lantean Legacy for it, uh, um, but I'm not going to tell you. But what's going to be really fun is that when you read book four, you're going to be like, ah, I knew that. <laughs> when you read, I love to put something in to like episode one of Sentinels of Atlantis and like have it bear fruit around episode 15 and people get it. I love that. I love it when you get it, when you make the connection that I, that I set up for you stories before and you're like, yay, look what I saw. I love that. That's really awesome. I really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I, I love when the Easter eggs are discovered. So my throat is starting to kill me. Um, so <coughs> I'm going to have to end my show here. Um, I hope that I answered your question, AK, and um, that uh, that Senna's bunny isn't rabid. Um, but I don't. I have no regrets that you were bunny during my podcast, Senna. No regrets whatsoever. Bunnies are made to be ridden. <clears throat> For those of you who are not reading on RT, take your bus over to RT and read. We've got some outstanding stories going on. We are very close. We just went over 5,000 comments. To give you guys some perspective, um, I have been publishing on my own site since 2008, and I've got a little over 20,000 comments. We are eight days into Rough Trade, and we've got 5,000 comments. (laughs) So that should tell you how exciting, 5,600 comments. That should tell you about all the wonderful work that's going on over there and how excited people are about what's happening and all the stories. Um, There's a lot of just go over there and just dig in and 
and take some snacks because you're going to need some snacks. Take a lot of snacks and maybe some coffee and some ice cream and some patriotic cheesecake. And yes, that patriotic cheesecake thing is an inside joke. And no, I'm not going to explain it because that would ruin it. Just know that whenever you eat cheesecake in whatever country you're in, it is your patriotic duty to eat it. There you go. You guys have a great evening and an awesome week. You're doing it for your country. That's right. Always do it for your country. Whatever your country may be. And remember, please, please, no ass to mouth. Come on now. Shut up and sit down.